On behalf of RBCS, welcome to this webinar on developing a test team. I'm Rex Black, president of RBCS, a worldwide testing and quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enterprises. Since 1994, RBCS has delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. Our team of international consultants deliver customized training, consulting, and outsourcing services to companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. I'm the author of 12 books on software testing, including the bestseller, Managing the Testing Process, and four books on the ISTQB program. Ten is that today's webinar does earn PMI PDUs, but I see that I did not update my uh, script here to show who reviewed the materials. I apologize to that person. Uh, could have been any number of people. Sorry about that, but you will get PDUs for today's um, uh, webinar. Uh, you'll receive an email that will uh, tell you how to claim the PDUs, including the PDU code. And the PDUs are available for live webinar attendance only. So for those of you who are listening to the recorded version of this, uh, um, you cannot get webinars, uh, webinar PDUs for that because we have no way of verifying attendance. Uh, before we start the presentation, a couple of notes. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to submit them at any time. Uh, but please note that they are only answered at the end. Uh, you do not need to ask for presentation copies. The presentation is already on the web. Go to rbcs-us.com, uh, go to the Resources tab in the upper middle of the web page, and from there navigate to the basic library, and you will find PDF version of the uh, slides. By attending this webinar, you have been automatically registered for the free e-learning drawing. Check your email over the next couple days and watch the spam filter. Hope you enjoy this free webinar from RBCS. We do these as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS we are a not just for profit company. Okay, so today we're going to look at developing a test team. As is a PowerPoint decides it wants to cooperate, and there it goes. Um, so um, <clears throat> these folks here um, who are sitting um, on a beach, uh, not having the time that most people have when they sit on the beach because these folks are in uh, Navy SEAL training, um, which is a quite, uh, quite an intensive experience uh, from what I can tell. I've read a couple books of uh, folks about uh, the process and so forth, and it's uh, not, not something for the uh, faint of heart. Um, why do they work so hard at this? Um, well, because uh, by the end of this process, these folks that you see in front of you are pretty much the ultimate badasses in the world, um, and they're proud of it. Um, so what I'm uh, doing here, metaphorically, is recommending that you, as a test manager, see yourself in a similar kind of role as the drill sergeants that are training a BUDS team, that you're objective is to create the team of ultimate testing badasses. Now, I was inspired to do this um, presentation uh, by sort of a growing sense of impatience. Uh, we've been um, really for 25 years uh, completely obsessed, it seems to me, by questions of process and software development life cycles and maturity models, and it's just, you know, on and on and on and on. Okay, that's that's fine. I get the the total quality management thing that the quality of a product is influenced by the quality of the process, etc. But thing is that we're not engaged in manufacturing. 
and we're not engaged in uh, yet a true form of engineering. Um, at this point, while I certainly hope that we will at some point become real true engineers, at this point, what we're doing is more like a craft than uh, than engineering. It's uh, things are built by hand by people. So um, talking about how people develop software um, is really like um, focusing on the recipes um, rather than focusing on the chef. Um, it, it's there is a difference. Um, you can give me a recipe that a one chef can use to create some sort of fantastic cake or something like that, and I'm pretty sure I could figure out how to make a, a hash of it because while I can cook uh, dinners and so forth, I'm pretty lousy with pastries. So I think we're in the same sort of situation that we really need to think more about um, people and their skills and how we develop a, a, a really great team. Um, and get a little less obsessed with all of this process nonsense. So a basic rule of management is that as a manager, you are only as good as your team. Managers get work done through other people. So those people doing the work um, are um, going to reflect on, on you. Um, you will be seen as, as good or as bad as your team is. So um, you should think of the team as something that you want to nurture and develop into this, this really remarkable, um, amazing set of, as I said, testing badasses, really great testers. Um, now, if you think back to the, the picture on the first slide of the Navy SEALs in training there, if you look back at those guys 10 years in the past, right, those folks were probably in their uh, early uh, 20s. Uh, if you looked at a picture of them 10 years before they got there, um, you would not have seen uh, necessarily a future Navy SEAL. Uh, but what you would probably have seen is someone who looked capable and confident uh, for their age, and thus they were good raw material for that. Uh, you're going to have that same sort of uh, thing. Is that you, you? You're not going to have the luxury, probably, of hiring these phenomenal testers every single time you hire someone. And that's okay because you don't need to. You just need to hire people who uh, can be made into phenomenal testers and who make your already phenomenal test team even more phenomenal. Um, so. One of the things that you need to do is look for ways to hire into the uh, weaknesses of your team. What I mean by that is when you're hiring people, look for people that are strong where your team is weak. Um, it's a, a classic mistake to hire people that are very similar to the people you already have on your team. Um, you want to try to avoid that. You want to try to complement um, the skills uh, and experience and background that you have uh, with each person you hire. Um, now, you also need to make sure that as you are building skills within the team, that those skills are reinforced through practice. Another classic mistake that people make is to send people out to get training, um, and then when the people come back from training, 
the manager forgets to structure their work assignments around using some of the skills that they just applied or just acquired. And in that case, um, you know, skills are, are kind of like muscles. They will atrophy and go away. I see this not infrequently with teams that have uh, um, had their testers go through the ISTQB, um, the ISTQB program. And then uh, when uh, um, people get back, they don't um, apply some of the black box test design techniques that they use. The manager doesn't uh, structure their work assignment to make sure that they do it, and then they, they forget them. So make sure that when you assign people to, uh, uh, to do things, you want to, uh, um, you, you need to think of it as a form of exercise. Now another thing, and we're going to talk about further about both of these things, work assignments and skills growth and so forth. Um, another thing that's very important here um, is to go beyond just being a competent manager to being an inspired and inspiring leader. Um, now what we're talking about in this session today is really about competent skills growth and team development management. Um, it's not about being an inspiring leader, an inspired and inspiring leader, because that's really something that needs its own session. Um, we're going to focus on how you take a team of uh, capable people, group of capable people, and transform them into a remarkable team. And by the way, I just got a note on who the reviewer was. The reviewer of the materials was Jim Romans. So thank you, Jim. Uh, for your help with uh, this presentation. Now, um, you know, they, they uh, talk about the chain being uh, only as strong as its weakest length, right? Um, and, uh, well, that's a, a management uh, cliche. Um, cliches are cliches because they have elements of truth in them, yes? So um, keep that in mind that uh, a strong team will consist of people who are individually very strong. Again, going back to the, the SEAL example, um, SEALs do have specialties within their, um, their teams, um, but they, they are all very, very good at, uh, at what they do and are um, all very uh, capable. Um, you may have seen um, Silly movies, uh, you know, the, where where you know misfits and losers are are the the champions in the end, and everybody loves an underdog story, you know, like a bad news bears or a dirty dozen or something like that. Um, but you know, those are fun. They're fun to watch. They're also movies, right? And if you look at exceptional teams in real life, um, that doesn't happen that way. Um, the the you know no nobody. Nobody who's taken seriously as a manager or leader of an organization sits down and goes, I think I'm going to collect a bunch of losers and misfits that uh, have very little skills and put them together, and certainly something remarkable will happen, just like that movie Bad News Bears. Um, you know, I mean, anybody who made a comment like that in a, in a management meeting would uh, very promptly be laughed out of the meeting. Now, um, you um, may not have misfits and losers. Um, hopefully you don't. But you might have people who, you know, are, are weak in, in some areas, and, and your team's not really perfect. So 
you need to expect that developing your team is going to be something that you're going to have to do. Um, so the first thing you need to know is where are you strong and where are you weak, right? So, for example, if you went to a uh, gym and just started um, exercising, you know, you could do that and it would certainly get you in better shape. But if you wanted to really have a uh, really effective program to get into better shape, then you could meet with a personal trainer first and they would do an assessment of where you're strong, where you're weak, what uh, health issues you might need to address and so forth. Uh, so I'm a, um, suggesting that you are going to need to do something similar here, that you're going to need to assess the, your team um, on an individual basis and, and then collectively, and based on that, come up with a development plan. So the, um, the way that you can do this is through what is referred to as a skills inventory. So what you do is a task analysis to find out what are the important tasks that your team does. Now, uh, by important, I mean these are you know, related to the success or failure of your team in terms of carrying out its mission and meeting its objectives. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> everybody has lunch, right? People eat, but that's not a critical um, task, right? That's, that's just something that people do, and they can probably manage to do that without your help. Um, though, you know, everybody appreciates a free pizza from now, uh, now and then. Um, but what I'm talking about is looking at the tasks that actually are related to the objectives that you're trying to carry out. And then once those tasks are identified, figure out what the skills are um, that are needed to carry out those tasks. Uh, usually I group these into four categories, uh, general qualifications, things like general education uh, requirements and so forth. Uh, technical skills such as programming and test automation, business domain knowledge, knowing the business problem that the software uh, under test is to solve, and testing skills like um, uh, black box test design and um, other similar types of test-related skills, test planning, and so forth. So now I've got the skills listed, of the, the, the skills that I need to have within my team, and then I need to go across each member of my team for each skill, check to see what level of skill they have. Now, there are various scales you can use for this. One of the uh, scales that I've used is this one, one to three scale that you see shown here. Um, now, I like this scale because it's easy for me to tell the difference between the points on the adjacent points on the scale. Uh, I think if you use something that's like a five point or a 10 point scale, it starts to get a little more difficult to distinguish between the different uh, adjacent points on the scale. But zero means um, that a, a person um, who has a zero for a particular skill, any task that requires that skill, they can't do it. Okay? They just don't, they don't know enough about it. Um, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. Uh, or they would uh, um, do it wrong, uh, they'd ask too many questions, so forth. Uh, a one means that uh, a person um, can carry out a, a simple to moderate task that requires that particular skill, though they will need to have someone to support them. They have to have someone they can go to to ask questions. 
two for knowledgeable means you know simple to moderate tasks um, they this person can do um, the such tasks that, that require this skill uh, and can be the can answer some questions to other people um, related to this particular uh, skill now three is the expert uh, three is a person who can do pretty much any task that requires a skill and can answer almost any questions about it they're they're your your expert um, now the odds are that if you just are, are supervising a, a team that you haven't paid a lot of attention to this uh, so far you're gonna have a lot of uh, ones and twos um, and some zeros and not not a lot of threes um, when you first sit down and do this um, and that's fine because that gives you something to, to reach for you want to make sure that this is uh, a, this inventory is based on an objective meaningful assessment not you know um, some sort of uh, uh, Lake Wobegon uh, everybody's above average kind of thing which might in the short term make people feel better but in the long term is hardly um, uh, aspirational um, because what do, what do people grow into right I mean again going back to the seal example um, you know why one of the reasons I'm sure that a lot of people choose to do that or to try that is because it's really really hard not because it's easy but because it's hard they are challenged uh, to become um, you know something that uh, very few people are capable of, of doing in their lives so obviously you're not doing anything quite as dramatic as uh, you know storming compounds in a bot or something like that but at the same time you know you want people to feel like uh, it is a challenge um, to be in your in, in your test team and that you are you are going to make them uh, work hard and learn a lot uh, and most people will appreciate that and you know what the people who won't appreciate that maybe you don't want to have them around um, so be be objective uh, one way that I've uh, accomplished this is by having people self-assess but telling everybody that the assessment is going to be public knowledge among the team so it introduces a little peer pressure on people to not you know try to position themselves as experts when everybody knows well wait you don't know anything about that so that's one thing and the other thing too is to tell people that you you're you're not looking for weaknesses um, for purposes of ranking employees or anything like that you're looking for weaknesses for purposes of identifying training opportunities for people and work assignment opportunities for people so that deliberately gives people that gives people the the um, uh, incentive if anything to downplay their skills because they're going to want to get opportunities to improve in in certain areas uh, now you do have to be a little careful with this um, definitely ask ask your HR folks if you're allowed to do this before you do it um, I've been told by some people in Europe that in certain countries in Europe it would be illegal to do this that seems weird to me but you know I'm not a lawyer I'm certainly not a European lawyer so check with your HR folks um, also if you have the misfortune to work in a company that uh, um, got infected with that Jack Welch management BS um, in the, the 90s the whole GE management thing where they, they was called rank and yank 
basically you rank your employees and you fire the bottom 10% every year. Um, you know, obviously that uh, that that sort of uh, management environment just uh, creates a, a Lord of the Flies type of culture in an organization, um, and nobody is going to want to uh, um, submit to anything that might even remotely look like uh, ranking. Um, so you'll have some difficulties in in overcoming this. Um, and if there are any GE employees listening, uh, apologies to your former uh, uh, apologies to you for your former boss, but no apologies to your former boss. The guy is uh, not exactly an exemplary human being for coming up with that. Now, um, all of this uh, stuff goes into a spreadsheet, and um, your spreadsheet now will show you where you are strong and where you are weak. Um, so the strength and weakness analysis that you get out of this spreadsheet um, is one that uh, um, shows you both your individual weaknesses and your team weaknesses. Okay, So find the weaknesses and come up with a plan as to how you want to uh, address those. Training can be part of this and should be part of it, but remember work assignment and so forth, that's also important. Mentoring can be part of this. So there are a lot of things to do. We'll talk about this a little bit further as we go forward. Um, job descriptions. Um, as I said, when you hire people, you want to hire people that bring new skills into your weak areas. Um, and um, as you're doing assignments, um, work assignments, um, use work assignments as a way of uh, growing uh, new skills and uh, growing uh, existing skills. But remember, don't set people up to fail, right? Don't don't give somebody an assignment and go, well, you got a zero on that skill that's necessary to do this task, so I want you to go learn it. You know, that's, that's sink or swim stuff, and that's, uh, you know, that's, if you're forced into doing that from time to time, that's one thing. But um, setting someone up for failure is uh, not a way of building good skills or building their confidence. So again, you need a plan here. You have to have a plan. How are you going to use your hiring opportunities? How are you going to use your training budget? How are you going to use the skills within the staff? How are you going to use your work assignments to hone your team? So some thoughts on what goes into your plan, training. Um, now, of course, you, you could say, well, Rex would say that. Um, but this can be, you know, e-learning courses or instructor-led courses, but it can also be internal. Um, I, I saw a really great uh, Lunch and Learn a few uh, months ago at a client site. And what, what they do, they make a product that is very data-centric. And they use a relational database. Um, and so one of the things that's really important for both the developers and the testers is good understanding of um, database structure and queries. So their senior architect uh, gave a one-hour lunch and learn where he went through the basics of things like um, how, how to set up good, efficient queries, uh, how to avoid making mistakes in queries, how to identify problems with indices and keys 
in uh, tables, how to identify potential issues with uh, referential integrity constraints. A really good one-hour session. Right? That's training, you know. So um, you can have books. Um, people sometimes I'll hear people say that uh, they'll get a copy of one of my books and circulate it within the team and have kind of study sessions with it, and so forth. All good stuff. Okay, you don't you don't have to have a ton of money. You don't have to spend a ton of money. I, I like to think of these webinars as a form of, of training that we do for free. And so, you know, you've got that available to you too. We've got somewhere on the order of five or six years worth, so 50, 60, 70 recorded uh, webinars on all sorts of different topics. So, you know, think think broadly about, you know, don't just go, oh, training. Training means uh, i got to send somebody off to a class. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I love it when, <laughs> when you guys send yourselves or your people to RBCS training classes. I'm not trying to talk you out of that, but uh, you know that's just one component of your larger plan. Um, certification can be part of this too. Um, relevant and credible certification programs like the ISTQB program. Um, kind of mentoring um, and cross-training um, uh, activities that I, I alluded to with the, the lunch and learn. Um, you know, that can be a good way of going. A job rotation is something that can also be a part of the plan, is having people move into um, positions. Um, now, again, don't put them into positions that they're completely unable to do, right? You need to make sure that they have some basic skills and that they have someone they can go to for support. But, you know, consider job rotation as another uh, uh, piece of the puzzle here. Um, college degrees, perhaps. You know, getting people to get a college degree could be part of your uh, your plan. Um, and, and as I said, don't um, don't forget that um, ultimately any skill that is acquired has to be cemented into place by the application of that skill to do some work. So, you know, make sure that you've got that component of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're busy and you've got all these things to to manage and so forth, and this is now I'm saying one other thing for you to follow up on, but remember, this, this is, um, this development of a team is, if not the most important thing um, that you're working on in any given day, it is certainly one of the most important things um, that you're working on uh, in any given day. And it's, it's one of those things that it's long-term, it's an investment that pays off in the future, and so, it's easy to kind of go, ah, manana, manana, I've got all of these, you know, burning fires that I have to deal with. But, you know, if you do that, you'll never get there. Um, so you have to see this as a priority and something that you uh, that you need to do and that you want to do. Um, now, um, there's the uh, throwing the bread on the water approach to this. Um, and there's the actually making sure that people are focusing on their skills growth approach, and I'm in favor of the latter. Um, so I have um, I have people come to me um, fairly regularly, uh, especially if I'm giving a presentation about metrics or something, and I talk about um, misuse of process metrics, so things like rewarding or punishing testers or developers based on the number of bugs that 
they file or the number of bugs found in their code and so forth. And I'm always saying, don't do that. That's a huge mistake. You're going to distort behavior. And then people say, well, what, what do I measure? I need to have an objective way of measuring my people. What do I measure? Well, measure their skills growth. Measure the, the, their increase in skills. Uh, that's something that you actually want to see them advance. Um, and by uh, attaching um, uh, objectives that are evaluated, um, I would do it quarterly. Um, and also as part of the uh, annual performance evaluation, you make sure that everybody is focused on becoming a better tester becoming a more skilled tester, that they see that as a core part of their job. Um, there's a, a famous quote attributed to um, Abraham Lincoln that um, has some, something along the lines of, um, if I had to chop down a, a forest or a grove of trees, I'd spend at least half a day sharpening my axe. Um, and this is the same thing. You need to think of this as sharpening your acts because these people are the ones who are actually doing the work and remember this is human work you know they are they are the the axe blade that is going to be used to um, clear the forest and if, if the axe blade is dull the work will be painful and it will be slow now yeah annual performance evaluations um, skills growth salary increases, all of that good stuff. This should be tied to uh, people's growth in their, in their skills. Now, remember that you want to, um, you want to be um, uh, fair, um, both to the employee and to the company here. So, you know, if you are going to measure people based on their skills growth, you have to have given them the opportunity to uh, increase their skills. Um, but at the same time, you know, need to make sure that these are skills that actually matter to the company. That's why that, that critical task analysis was so uh, important. Um, people are rational economic actors. I know there's, you know, some controversy amongst economists now as to, you know, do people really maximize their utility and so forth. And it's uh, It's kind of hip amongst economists now to like try to find examples of where people behave in uh, irrational ways that contradict traditional economic theory. But you know, you want to see rational economic actors in action. Just look at how people respond to bonuses and um, um, performance evaluations and so forth. People people pay attention to that. They do respond to economic rewards. So. Remember that to the extent that you are attaching, attaching economic rewards and potentially punishments to um, certain types of uh, behaviors, including skills growth, you have to be really careful that that's not going to lead to something counterproductive or, or uh, destructive. Um, a great example of this, um, I was doing an assessment for a client a number of years ago. They called uh, myself and, and some of my colleagues in and said, uh, look, uh, we, we think we have some problems um, in terms of how we manage defects, and we'd like you to take a look at that. And I said, okay, yeah, that's that. You know, a lot of people do have problems there, and I'll take a look at it. Well, as a, sort of a byproduct of that, this is a, it's a sidebar, if you will, of that investigation of their defects. 
Um, they had eight, excuse me, they had eight different groups um, that uh, are uh, in charge of their IT. Basically, they're broken down into these eight different portfolios. And, um, and for good reasons, because they, they, the, uh, they're in a, the logistics business and, um, you know, it's, it's package sorting software and systems are totally different than e-commerce systems, right, web-based systems, right? So they, they have these uh, eight different portfolios. And, and um, we looked at various things related to defects, including severity distributions. And an interesting thing happened when we looked at the severity distributions across the eight portfolios. In seven out of the eight portfolios, the distribution from severity one to severity five was about what you would expect, a sort of a bell-shaped curve. But for one of the portfolios, they had basically no severity one bugs, very, very few relative to uh, the other number of bugs. Now, the thing that was interesting was that the total number of bugs was about the same in proportion to their share of the IT budget across all eight groups. But in this one group, through some sort of magic, they didn't have severity one bugs. So I dig into this, and it turns out that what had happened was that a few years before, um, somebody had come in um, as the, the VP in charge of IT for that group and um, was dismayed with the uh, current levels of quality and um, decided that uh, he knew exactly how to fix the problem and he put forth an edict that said that uh, any developer that had more than, I forget the number, three, five, whatever, severity one bugs filed against his or her code in the course of a year was to be dinged on their performance evaluations. And shazam, like magic, the severity one bugs went away. But, you know, Remember, I said that um, the, the raw number of bugs wasn't actually much different. Um, most of those bugs didn't go away, per se. They just got shifted into severity to bugs. Because what had happened within the organization was that the developers, when they heard this, immediately started going to their tester colleagues and said, saying, please, please, whatever you do, do not file a severity one bug against my code. I swear to God I will fix any severity two bug that you file, but do not file a severity one bug against my code because you will steal bread out of my children's mouths. Now, you know, how are the testers supposed to respond to this, right? So what has this manager done? Well, what this manager has done is they have, have totally destroyed the credibility of the defect data, at least with respect to severity measurements, and they now have blinded themselves to the true state of the defects within their organization. Um, they've created this illusory um, improvement, which actually hasn't improved anything. It's just injected noise into the defect data repository. And they've um, corrupted the behavior of the testers and the developers. Okay, so nice work there. Um, so, you know, be, be careful as, as a manager. You have to really, really think about um, these kinds of metrics. Now, in terms of the goals and objectives, when you're setting people's goals and objectives, and not just for training, but for um, anything, um, the the SMART acronym here is one to keep in mind. So, you know, be specific. You know, you don't want to just have someone go, oh, well, um, I'm going to be a more skilled test automator this year. Well, that's not specific enough. You want to be specific about the particular kind of automation and tool they're going to be um, mastering. Uh, measuring the progress. How do you measure the progress? 
this is one of the things that can be nice about the certification programs is that they give you a concrete objective way of measuring whether somebody has achieved certain learning objectives. Um, is this something um, that someone can do? Is it attainable? Right? So it should be achievable, but it shouldn't be easy. Right? It should be beyond typical performance. It's not a goal for an improvement if it's just what you would expect. Right? Uh, doing their day-to-day -day job, that's not, uh, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about um, going beyond what they currently do. Um, is it realistic? Can, can this actually happen? You know, you need to be, um, you, you want, there, there's a fine line between, uh, you know, aspirational and delusional <laughs> in some cases. You don't want to set up a situation where um, somebody just can't, can't achieve the goal because achieving the goal would involve distracting themselves from their day-to-day -day work, okay? So make sure that that is something that you are keeping in mind. And also, um, there needs to be a time element about this. Um, you need to have um, some some thinking, uh, put do some thinking about when do you when does this need to be accomplished? Um, you know, just having some vague date out in the future of you know some sometime in the next five years you need to be a better test automation person. That's not uh, that's not going to cut it, right? You want to keep these things more uh, um, time bound. Um, okay, so set the goals. Um, keep keep smart in mind. Avoid any sort of uh, um, goal setting and um, performance evaluation that's going to be uh, disruptive. Um, now, some mistakes, sorry, I was going to cook something up here. Some mistakes that organizations make um, with respect to goals and, and growing a team. Um, the unachievable goal, something that somebody just cannot accomplish. Um, you know, they, they can't do it, it's beyond where they are right now, or uh, they could do it, but they can't do that and do everything else that they have to do at the same time. So you're effectively wishboning somebody if you set that up. They're being pulled in contradictory directions, and that's not fair. Um, again, you know, don't don't set goals that are simple, that are um, you know easy easy wins. And maybe some easy wins are okay, but it shouldn't be all easy wins. You know, again, keep in mind the the seal example here. Um, Okay, I mentioned this use of project, product, or process metrics. Don't do it. Um, you know, uh, bugs, bonuses for the number of bugs found or the number of tests run and so forth, I've seen that. Uh, again, that's a, that's a project metric that's perfectly useful project metric, but not something that should be uh, used for rewarding. Individual goals and group goals. You need to have group goals, that's for sure. You're, and as a manager, you need to be measured on your group goals. Um, but individual goals are different, right? So you can't, you don't want to blame uh, or hold accountable an individual tester for the fact that the team as a whole uh, did not um, achieve some certain uh, goal. Now, 
yeah, there are there are are places for uh, things like shared bonuses, for example. Like uh, if I, I've heard of this being done and seen this done with clients, where uh, after a project is over and it's been over for some length of time, management will evaluate things like customer satisfaction and uh, uh, profitability and uh, being on budget and on time and a, a collection of of, uh, of attributes that include quality and if if goals have been achieved in those areas everybody on the team gets a shared a share of a bonus pool um, and I think that's that's perfectly fine because that gets everybody uh, pointed in the in the right direction and, and supporting the, the goals of the project, but that shouldn't be the only thing that's going on. That shouldn't be the only only way that people are incented. Um, make sure that there is alignment between the individual goals and objectives and the group's goals and objectives. You don't want people pulling off in different directions because of uh, how you're setting up uh, people's uh, goals. Uh, set and forget. Um, you know, there's a, a sort of a, um, management worst practice here that arises when people, as managers, um, don't see the development of the team as uh, as a critical central part of what they do, uh, and they they it sort of becomes this onerous thing, and they're really unhappy with having to do things like performance evaluations and so forth. So they just do it, gritting their teeth. Um, and you know, surprise, surprise, there's no follow-up. And so, guess what? You know, whose whose objectives are not being achieved, right? Um, you're the people on your team. So, remember, this is not the development of your team is a very important thing that you're doing. Uh, it is not a, a is not something that HR is quote unquote making you do. Um, it is something that you need to do to um, again sharpen the uh, sharpen, sharpen the axe blade um, never move the goalpost after the goal has been agreed to uh, that is a huge mistake where you know people's goals get redefined uh, mid uh, year and uh, I've seen this happen before and it breeds tremendous amounts of uh, mistrust and um, discouragement um, and you know, it will motivate your best people to leave if they feel like you're cheating on them effectively, setting setting a goal and then changing it, um, even with the best of excuses. And of course, uh, you know, think about people's goals and objectives, um, not only on a year by year basis, but also on a long term basis. Where is this tester headed in their career? How is what you're um, doing with them in terms of their goals and objectives aligned with uh, with where they want to go? If you're asking them to grow in some area that's not necessarily aligned with where they want to go in their career um, for the good of your team, because you need someone to have that skill, then that should be something that's acknowledged uh, openly um, by you um, to with that individual um, and you know tell them look we need somebody to know this and uh, I think you're the right person to do it
Now, in terms of the performance reviews, this should be done at least annually, though. In terms of skills growth, I'm a fan of looking at that, uh, that skills growth matrix on a quarterly basis and, and course correcting um, on a quarterly basis with, uh, with, in terms of the training plan. Now, um, people should not be surprised by their annual performance review. Um, you should be giving them feedback as they go, so this should not be they go into to their performance evaluation and they read it and they go, oh my god, this is horrible, I had no idea. You know, that, that's, you, you have failed as a manager if somebody is legitimately surprised. Now, nobody likes to get a um, bad performance review, that's, that's for sure. They're not going to be happy with it. Uh, but there's a fair way of doing it, and then there's a there's the ambush way of doing it, and you want to be uh, you want to be doing it in a fair way. So um, if you're going to give somebody a bad performance review, um, then make sure that you're clearly and objectively showing how there's something that they need to do or needed to do or need to be able to do and that they're not measuring up to that. And, um, you know, be, um, be fair, but, you know, be demanding. Um, again, this, this is, you do not achieve exceptional teams by being soft on um, those who are performing below par. Because other people will see that, and they'll get the message that, oh, this is one of those teams where people can slack off and people can can drop the ball, and the manager, in the uh, interest of uh, um, carrying on in a uh, conflict-free and smiley-face type of environment, isn't going to hold people to high standards. You don't, you are not going to achieve an exceptional team if that's if if you, the most important thing for you is that all of your employees love you and think you're great you know that's that's going to be that's going to maybe dissuade you from being as as tough as and demanding as you need to be but then again if people don't respect you are they really going to love you and think you're great and if you're not um, managing competently you know how great is that um, now Part of part of what you have to consider as you're developing your team is um, uh, organizational options. Um, now, there's sort of two two ends of a spectrum here. Uh, one is what what I would refer to as a generalized team, and the other is a specialized team. So, a generalized team is one where you try to um, get people to at least a two rating. Remember, two is that sort of basic competence, the, the knowledgeable um, rating that I showed in the earlier scale, uh, scale. You try to get everybody to about a two uh, across all of the critical uh, skills. And the reason for this is it's going to allow you to shift people around, and it's going to make your team very efficient if you can do that, because you're going to avoid bottlenecking um, in terms of unavailable human resource. Um, but you're, you're going to be pushing people to acquire skills in a lot of different areas, which is going to 
prevent them from acquiring a lot of skill in a few areas, so you're not going to necessarily have a lot of expertise. So you'll be more efficient, but perhaps less effective. Now, specialized is the other way, where you push people to, to acquire a small set of skills and be very, very, very good at it. Um, this will make people very effective when they're doing the thing they're good at, but it creates efficiency issues because people can't just be shifted around easily. Um, of course, you know, specialization, that choice to specialize is, can be something of a luxury. Um, you know, you can't, you, you can't always do it with a small team. So you have to think about, is the team big enough to support a specialized approach? And there are also certain things where you really have to have specialized people involved, like, for example, test automation. You know, all so often I go into organizations where they just go, okay, well, we, we need to do some automated testing, and we've got a couple people that know how to program. Uh, they got no experience doing test automation. We're going to put them off in a corner and tell them, come up with a bunch of automated tests. And they do, and those tests are not maintainable, and they're thrown away within six months if you're lucky. Or if you're not lucky, um, you've got that team sitting over there for four or five years doing nothing but trying to maintain their unmaintainable tests and generating a negative return on investment. So, you know, you do have to recognize that there are certain things that if you have to do them will require specialization, um, performance testing, um, GUI, uh, regression test automation, um, the, those, those sort of things do require a specialized level of knowledge. Security testing is another example. Um, now, I talked about skills uh, or task assignment. Um, you need to keep track of, you know, who's, who's assigned to what and what exactly they're doing. So a, a RACI matrix is a way of, of uh, showing this graphically. So you're, you're looking at the, the responsible, the accountable, the consulted, and the informed and classifying people in terms of that. And, you know, keep in mind that if you're looking to cement somebody's skills in a particular area, they need to be responsible. You can't just say, uh, oh, well, somebody needs to learn more about a particular area, so, um, you know, I'm going to assign them the, an informed role on, on some task in that area, and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pick it up by osmosis. Eh, you know, that may be a way to get their feet wet, but eventually if you want to cement skills, they actually have to do the work. Um, so it is important that you um, that you uh, look at this, how you're assigning the work, how you're managing the um, the work, and if it's um, um, <clears throat> if somebody is thrashing or not um, not getting something done that needs to get done, you need to figure out a way of gracefully intervening in that situation and turning it around. Um, you know, uh, no no good parent would sit and watch their kid flail around in the water and get dangerously close to drowning and uh, with without intervening, right? So similarly, no good manager, when they're aware of a situation where somebody's really struggling, uh, even even if that person hasn't come to you, right? But you become aware of it. You need to figure out a way of of intervening. And again, and, and you know, do it in a way that's graceful. Do it in a way that doesn't call somebody out 
you know, you want to offer them a face-saving way of ideally recovering the situation and going on to succeed. Uh, if you do need to change uh, the work assignment because somebody has has failed at it, then you need to make sure you do that in a way that it has is is has the minimal degree of disruption. Um, you know, it should uh, it should never be your goal as a manager to um, to humiliate. Uh, somebody in front of, of others in the team. Now another thing to think about is not just skills and qualification but also personality types. Now some organizations use things like the Myers-Briggs uh, type indicator to uh, classify people. Um, your human resources folks might have an opinion about whether or not they want you doing any of these MBTI tests. Um, and it's certainly not something that you want to just do in an, in an amateur fashion. Um, but I know of uh, organizations, I mean, we have a client where everybody goes through this and their MBTI uh, type is, is actually uh, visually displayed in their, in their cubicle uh, where they work. Uh, and this just helps people um, understand everybody's in trained in how to how to interpret these things so it helps everybody understand when they're having a conversation with somebody and if that conversation is is um, problematic in some way um, you know one of the things to consider is is this a, a an issue with just you know we have different personality types so we come at things differently you know introverts and extroverts you know communicate differently and so forth um, you know where people focused on facts and data or people more focused on kind of, hmm, you know, I feel like this should be happening, right? So this is something to consider. Um, and, um, you know, if it, if it works for you and if it's a fit in your organization, you, you might give it a try. Now, stress. Um, stress happens. Testing can be stressful. Um, testing even... You know, regardless of the life cycle, testing is is sort of a a gating activity. It happens towards the end of an end of an iteration, or happens at the end of a project. Um, it's uh, can be seen by some as a as a form of of criticizing people's work, though it shouldn't be done deliberately that way. But it can happen when uh, when developers and managers are under stress, they can react in uh, emotional ways to bad news and often we as testers are the bearers of bad news which then leads to a lot of stress uh, potentially for us. Now everybody has um, different ways of dealing with stress and different uh, ways that stress affects them. Um, I uh, worked on a project once where the project manager was a, he was an okay project manager at the beginning, but as the project started to get in trouble, um, his way of dealing with stress was through ever-increasing amounts of alcohol. And it got to the point where, I mean, he would be drinking vodka at work in during the day. And I, I learned fairly quickly just to have nothing to do with the guy after, say, about 2 o'clock because he was going to be in the bag and not the kind of person you'd want to confront with bad news. So, um, you know, be, be aware of these issues of stress and stress management and uh, think of ways of uh, recognizing it and maybe um, think of ways of, as a group, 
promoting activities that can be helpful uh, in, in managing stress. Uh, I don't know, people on your team like to say play racquetball or tennis or something like that. Uh, maybe organize some, some tennis or, or racquetball or basketball or trips to the gym or going running at lunchtime. You know, there's any number of things that can be done to try to give people some healthy um, um, outlets for, for stress. Um, and, you know, again, try, try to recognize this. Now, you're not a social worker, and, you know, this is not um, something that's, um, you know, that you should, you should expect to be able to bring that kind of professional counselor type of um, approach to, and it would be wrong for you to try to do that. But, you know, you're, you're a human being, and you're a manager of a team. You're there to take care of the people that work for you. Um, and uh, part of that is thinking about, you know, am I stressing people out? Who is stressed out? How can we help them? Okay, so again, I've, I've said this a few times, but uh, repetition is the key to recollection, and if there's one thing I want you to take away from this presentation, it's that um, a key part of your job as a test manager is developing your people into the best possible individuals as part of the best possible team. You know, you have to write it on the wall, you know, hang it up on your on your wall on a piece of paper. You know, your motto should be, I am building a kick-ass team of testers. Um, you know, and when I say kick-ass here, I'm not talking about kicking the developer's ass, right? I'm talking about just people of, a, of an exceptional uh, degree of talent who are exceptionally proud of their abilities um, and very, very good at what they do. Um, training can be part of how you do this, but that's not training by itself is just the the throwing throwing bread on the water thing that I mentioned before. You need to know what people need individually. You know you need to know what your team needs, and you need to have a plan. And you need to follow up on that plan. And you need to measure against that plan, and hold yourself accountable and hold your people accountable. Use work assignments to cement skills. Don't just train people. Don't teach people to do things that they then don't do. Teach people to do things and then have them do it. And consider stress and personality as well. This is your um, bad bad fits in terms of job assignments uh, with respect to personality means that uh, people will be less successful than they would be with a good fit. And when people feel very stressed, they are likely to behave in ways that are um, not uh, maybe not entirely rational or don't don't seem entirely rational so you know that also needs to be kept in mind um, use clearly defined goals and objectives fair goals and objectives developed using that smart acronym and um, as I said hold people accountable but above all hold yourself accountable um, if your team is not uh, performing up to um, your expectations, um, the first thing to ask is, is it possible that there's something that I'm doing that is holding the team back? Um, and encourage people to give you that kind of feedback too. Um, the last thing that you want as a manager is to be surrounded by a bunch of sycophants, a bunch of yes men, as the saying goes. Um, 
people need to be um, able to give you feedback on um, how you can do a better job of managing them. Um, and so that's something that you want to have conversations with your people about. Okay, so as usual, we will go into the Q&A here. I will put the uh, advertisements up. Um, so let's see. We've got some questions that are coming in on the start at the top. Um, Bill, a longtime listener, sent a question right at the beginning or something, F5. Um, I have to say, Bill, that that is certainly the most inscrutable question that I've ever gotten in a webinar. Um, I am going to have to ask you to uh, clarify that for me because other than thinking as F5 as a, uh, as a way to force a refresh, I'm not quite sure what, what I'm supposed to say about that. Sort of a haiku there, haiku comment. Uh, Deb says, do you have a test skills assess assessment matrix that you can share? Uh, absolutely do. Um, go to the basic library and the advanced library. So you go to rbcs-us.com, go to the resources tab in the upper middle, and from there you can navigate to the basic library and to the advanced library. And under test team, the test team development category on the templates, uh, parts of both of those uh, pages, you should be able to find examples of test skills uh, assessment matrix, matrices. Um, and just to, to reinforce for, for anybody who's not familiar with this, those everything that I talk about here, um, and every reference that I give to our, our website, if it's not someplace that's on the store, it's free. Okay, And I don't use these webinars as a, as a commercial um, so I'm not promoting stuff that you then have to pay for. Alex says, I totally agree with you about the Jack Welch comment. Yeah, you know, it's just, it boggles my mind as to how, um, how that came to be seen as sort of this pinnacle of, uh, of um, management skill. It's this just, um, you know, it's, I mean, psychopathic is is a really strong word, uh, so I don't want to use that. But it just with you know, it just seems like with to have this philosophy that in any given year, 10% of the people need to be fired out of your organization. Um, you know, that's just uh, that's just not not a very human way of of approaching management. Um, you know, I like to think of myself as as a lot more on the the Tom DeMarco, Tim Lister scale of, of how I think about management rather than this robotic, you know, Jack Welch, um, you know, scare the hell out of them to keep them motivated. I mean, that's just, just it always, that, all of that stuff that I heard was always just struck me as this classic theory X management that people are fundamentally lazy and, and um, need to be uh, terrified into doing good work. So Ivana says, in IT companies, test managers are not always fully allowed to choose strategy for team expanding, but forced to follow company general policy. For example, outsourcing per project, only juniors because of costs, always starting from the beginning. Uh, how to fight with this? Well, yeah, 
that's a good point. I mean, I, what I've been describing here to you is kind of um, uh, what you would do in a situation where you were free to follow um, team development best practices. Uh, to the extent that you are constrained, you will have to be more creative. Um, you will have to uh, um, do what you can within the, the constraints that you're, you're within and um, try to um, resist some counterproductive things that might be pushed in from the outside. I'll give you an example of this. I worked on a project as a test manager where there was this there was this real sort of uh, um, geek machismo thing going on in this organization. It's a startup organization, and uh, you know some of the leaders were like is kind of beating their chests like gorillas about how how long the, the long hours that they would work and the long hours that they would make their people work and how demanding they were of their people. Um, and um, so uh, around the middle of this project, which ended up being about a nine-month-long project, uh, I start getting static from one of the development managers saying, you know, when I come in in the morning at 7 a.m., there's never anybody in the test lab. And when I leave at night at 9 p.m., there's never anybody in the test lab. You know, you testers aren't working hard enough. And I went to my um, client contact and, and um, you know, after after hearing a few of these things, and I said, look, um, there's a number of ways that I can respond to this kind of stuff. I can ignore it, but I don't think I want to do that because this is being sent out not just to me, but also to other development managers, and I don't want there to be this impression that we're slacking, even though I know we're not, you know, but I don't, I don't want to, that to, to become a... Uh, common perception, and I said, but at the same time, um, I recognize that we are a long way from done on this project, and I do not intend to start have people working 60-hour, 70-hour weeks now when I know I might need some of that stuff in reserve for the last month or so, and um, I don't want to burn people out, and you don't want me to burn people out either because they'll leave and we'll have turnover and that's going to result in the less efficient testing. My client contacted said, yep, I agree. Um, you know, neither, neither of those things sounds good. We can't ignore it, but we can't, can't just cave. I, and so I said, I have an idea. Um, the people on my team are contractors. They're motivated by, um, you know, the number of hours they work. So they don't mind working long hours, and they don't mind working weird hours. I've got a lot of people on my team that are single. They don't have family responsibilities. Some of them are real night owls. Other people uh, would prefer to start earlier and be done earlier. And there are people who are perfectly happy to work on weekends. I said, how about this? How about we go into a split shift mode where we have a day shift and a night shift? Um, and for people working on the night shift or people working over the weekend, we'll give them a bonus. We'll, get, we'll pay them for an extra hour or two uh, for the for taking one of those those undesirable shifts, so we shouldn't have any trouble having um, you know reasonably good amount of people, and this will have the advantage of making our uh, test lab equipment uh, utilization more efficient too, because we'll uh, we'll be less likely to get constrained by what we've got in our test lab. 
And the guy thought about it and he said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Um, and I said, we'll make a point of uh, having, you know, um, information coming out of the test team to the development team at all hours of the day. You know, some people got in as early as 6.30 and there be people there until midnight. So there was a sort of constant flow of information out of there and it worked. And what happened was the development manager just, you know, kind of shut up about it. Um, and a few weeks later, I was, um, <laughs> privileged is the wrong word because it's never, never good to laugh at, at um, a team's misfortune, especially when that team is your client. Uh, but, it, it, you know, uh, it was a case study of why you don't uh, do the kind of thing that that guy was doing. Because I was in this meeting and we were, we were talking about some performance problems and reliability problems that existed on the server side. And so the lead architect on the server side was there and they're going around and around. And I'm there talking about the problems that we're finding. And um, the lead architect starts sort of brainstorming some solutions. Um, and his boss um, just cuts him off. This is the same guy who was sending out these emails about you know, making people work hard. His boss cuts him off and said, look, we don't have time to uh, something like hold your hand while you're uh, working through solving these problems. Uh, we just need to prioritize the problems and agree what problems need to be solved, and then you have to go off and solve them. And he said, I don't have time to sit around and talk about problems without talking about solutions. I've got a lot of problems, and, and I don't have time in my life for just blue sky conversations about these things. I don't need that in my life. And he looked, he looked directly at this guy, this manager, and said, you know what? I don't need you in my life. And he got up and he walked out of the meeting room. And this was one of these glass meeting rooms where you see the walls were glass. And he look out and see him walk over to his cubicle, throw a bunch of stuff in a box, and walk out the front door. And, this, you know, we're all sitting there in, like, stunned silence watching this happen. It must have been a good 30 minutes or 30 seconds while this all went on. And then, of course, the meeting broke up. And I said to my um, my client contact, I said, you know, I, I realize that what happened today is a big misfortune for, for you guys um, and that it's, it's, it's going to be a setback for the project. And I said, and honestly, I, I feel, I, I almost feel bad about charging you for my time today because if anything, as a consultant, I would have paid for tickets to see what I saw, um, to, to drive home for me the importance of never treating your people the way that guy treats his people. Um, it was just, it was absolutely textbook. Um, so, you know, <laughs> if, if you ever get to a situation where one of your employees quits like that and walks out of the room on you, it's really time for some serious soul searching as to how, how you're behaving as a manager. I, I would like to say that that guy actually exhibited that kind of soul searching afterwards, but no, he continued on in his, in his, his uh, same old jerk fashion. So, <coughs> excuse me, I guess, Ivana, the thing is, if you're in a situation where you feel like there's some stuff that's being imposed that could be counterproductive for your team, uh, one of the things that you really need to do is try to shield your team from that as much as possible. Um, yes, there can be things that go on in organizations that are really contrary to what is in the best interest of you and your team in terms of developing the team, 
and I would say that it's part of your job as a manager to uh, to try to protect your team from that. Um, Alex says, uh, thank you. This is very informative. You are welcome, Alex. I'm glad. Uh, Deb says, thank you, presumably for the uh, um, uh, the spreadsheets. Uh, Bill, Bill now, <laughs> Bill clarifies his F5. <laughs> he says, simply wanted to let you know that your PowerPoint needed to be displayed by pressing the F5 key. Yeah, in other words, to go into presentation mode. Sorry, I was too cryptic. <laughs> yeah, I looked at that and realized as we went into the live presentation, oh, wait, I'm not in the presentation mode yet. But uh, I didn't realize F5 did that. I was just click on the presentation key. But, okay, that's good to know. <laughs> I, don't get me wrong, Bill. I like that you did that. It's, it's, uh, that's funny. Um, Tiago hope I pronounced your, your name right, says, um, no, Tiago says you are, so I'm pronouncing the name right. That's good. Um, with organizations that insist on pushing testing to the end of the cycle, throwing stuff over the fence, limiting budget and schedule for testers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, how do you keep the morale, the spirit of highly skilled testers? Um, regardless of their expertise, self-confidence, if their work is strangled all the time, how do you keep them motivated? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I just get back to the the example I just gave, you know, of um, we're, we're now we're getting we're we're getting off into the inspired and inspiring leadership realm, but mo the talk today was mostly about you know competent management of skills development. Um, and that you know, competent management happens in the context of a uh, environment where one one can you know operate uh, competently as a manager. Um, you know, to Ivana's points earlier, like you know, all these constraints come along. Um, you know, what do you do? I mean, yeah, this you're now getting off into this issue of of leadership um, because you know that's where you go. Um, you know, you go beyond competence, right? You, you go into you go into uh, um, inspiring people, um, and it's that's beyond just that's beyond just skills. You know, that's that's um, that's motivation. Um, you know, that's the things things that inspire people to. Uh, do more than just a, a, a really exceptional job from a skills point of view, but it's an exceptional job from a from a point of view of uh, you know they they didn't have to do that right, but but they chose to do that because it was the right thing to do. Um, so <clears throat> you know at the risk of getting into that because I, I do want to get into that at a later uh, later webinar. I have a I have one on on how to how to be an inspired and inspiring leader um, I, I'd say that you know protecting your team is one part of that uh, that I mentioned before um, don't ever ask people to do something you wouldn't do yourself and that you you do yourself I mean, if you ask people to work on a weekend work on a weekend if you ask people to work late be there with them late 
um, be be fair to them. Um, you know, if 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 some sort of crappy directive comes down and you have no choice but to pass it on to them, um, you know, explain this is why this is happening. Um, you know, don't um, you don't have to defend it in the sense of try to make something um, ridiculous sound. Um, uh, rational, you know, but at the same time, you're not going to be, uh, you're going to look like a weak leader to your team if you immediately like throw your bosses under the bus or you start whining and grousing about it too. Uh, you know, there's there's there are ways of approaching um, passing on undesirable news and undesirable directives to your team where it's clear to them that this isn't your idea. But it's also clear to them that your your job is to lead them and manage them in such a way that under these difficult circumstances, the best possible things happen. And there's some interesting stuff about, you know, friend versus boss things that, um, you know, do you have to be a, a someone's friend and their boss, and so forth, or you know, just their boss? And you know, obviously, there's there, there can be some issues there if you're if you're trying to manage in a situation where there's a lot of negative stuff being thrown at your people. Um, if you're you know, um, don't manage that that relationship carefully and come across as grousing about your your place of work, then you know you you end up um, demotivating people. Um, Sinisa says, thanks. First time on your webinar. Great experience. Good. Well, welcome. There's um, lots of uh, recorded ones available to you to catch up on, and uh, we do them every month, so keep coming back. So Ivana says, great example with your experience with the development team. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, one of the things that um, that I've found as uh, as a consultant is that uh, the uh, th there's a lot to learn um, from you know any experience, but uh, negative experiences uh, really um, really have the most uh, payload, as it were. Um, you know, there's really a lot. I mean, I think of the projects that I've worked on that were really troubled and in some cases failing projects and projects that I've studied as a consultant that failed. And, uh, you know, the, it's the ones that uh, that um, had a lot of troubles and then in some cases failed really often offer, offered the uh, most uh, interesting learning opportunities. Um, let's see. So Deb says, can you describe the two paid management classes? I saw the brief description, but they seem to be similar. Uh, I don't want to get, I don't want to spend too much time on advertisement here. So I'll just say that basically we have the advanced test manager class, which is an ISTQB advanced level certification class. And we have managing the testing process, which is a non-certification class. Uh, both are fairly similar. I would say that if you are on the ice, on the certification path, then 
uh, go with Advanced Test Manager, and if you're on the non-certification path, do the managing the testing process. If you have further questions on our courses, just send an email to info at rbcs-us.com, and uh, we'll get right back to you. Um, Pruthvi, which I hope I said that right, Pruthvi says, thanks a lot, Rex. Um, you are welcome. Uh, let's see. Santhya asks, if a team member cannot successfully achieve his or her SMART goal by the end of the performance period, how do I, as a manager, look into it? Well, first off, I would say that if the first time you realize that the goal is not going to be achieved is at the end of a yearly performance evaluation period and you're looking at their goals from last year, then um, the mistake is, uh, I'm not going to say all on you as a manager, but a lot of it is on you as a manager because you need to be following up with people on their goals regularly. That way, if, the, if their progress towards their goals is not consistent with what would be required to achieve those goals, you know that you need to intervene. in a constructive fashion you know sticking your head into somebody's cubicle and go saying something along the lines of looks like you're falling behind on that skills growth goal with respect to test automation you better get your ass in gear you know that <laughs> that's unlikely to um, be a uh, positive uh, inspiring message that leads to the result that you want right so um, you know, if, if you see that somebody's lagging um, in a timely fashion, well before the end of the time period, but when you first see that they're lagging, you want to have a meeting with them um, and talk about it. You know, if you have weekly one-on-ones with your staff, which is a good practice, especially if you're a line manager, to have that weekly private one-on-one -on -one with your, your staff so that they can clear the air on anything that's going on, um, that's the point to bring that up, you know. Hey, I, I noticed that uh, you had a you've got a goal of uh, test automation and you know mastering X Y Z Perl scripts or whatever, and you really haven't uh, I haven't seen any uh, progress on that from you. I know you've been distracted by a lot of day to day tasks, but um, what can I do to help you set aside some time so that you can work on that? You know that kind of thing, right? Be supportive. It's it's. The goals need to be set up in such a way that it is, it is strongly your incentive that everybody succeed, right? There should never be a situation where you feel at all as a manager that it's in your best interest for someone not to achieve their objectives. Uh, Sandhya says, thank you. You are welcome. Um, Let's see, I got a question from Susan here who says, uh, do you have any advice for a company that is starting up a brand new test team? For example, creating a company test policy, what's important to know from the start, et cetera, time it takes to get the team started, thanks. Um, and then she says, or is there anything on your site that you can recommend? Most appreciated. Oh, uh, boy, I, um, man, this is more than I can answer in, in 
you know, five minutes or less. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> I guess I would say there are there are books out there that I think might be uh, helpful uh, when you're st when you're starting a new team. Um, so, for example, there's a book called The Accidental Project Manager, um, which was written, I, I forget the, the name of the author right now, uh, Patricia something, um, at, is for people who sort of uh, fall into the job of, of, of manager and they're like, oh, what to do, you know, where do I go here? Um, uh, certainly, um, uh, Tom DeMarco's book, Peopleware, is one that comes to mind as one to really um, look at from a you know are you are you managing your team right um, are you thinking about you know growing the team properly I'm sure I when I was putting this together I didn't refer back to people where but I'm sure that that because that book had a lot of impact on me when I first read it I'm sure that a lot of stuff that I talked about could be traced directly back to that and at the risk of blowing my own horn I mean managing the testing process was was written for people specifically in this position of bam you're a test manager and it's a new team and what do you do so um, hopefully that's uh, helpful um, Julie says uh, thanks Rex always enjoy your talks looking forward to the leadership one uh, yeah probably next year I'll do that um, uh, Susan says thank you yes okay good you're welcome um, David says, thanks for the great webinar. I have found that you and I have similar management styles. I will be sure to catch some additional webinars in the future. Good. Look forward to having you back, David. Always good to have lots of interaction. Um, Ivana says, if some project is very specific with skills and knowledge needed, um, can't be expected to have more of similar, for example, specific technology, which approach to use to cover needed skills for that project? Yeah, so if you discover that you have a gap in your team um, related to some skills that are going to be very specific and unique to that project, so in other words, subsequent projects are unlikely to have that same need, then um, what you probably want to do is think about using a, a, a contractor, contract resource uh, for that. Um, because growing those skills within your team is, is really not a lot, there's not a lot of business case for that. And if it's a single project, by the time you grew those skills within your team, uh, the project might very well already be over. And the, your, your lack of skills in that particular area might very well have already had a negative impact on the project and, and your ability to carry out your duties within that project successfully. So. Yeah, I would say that the best practice is uh, look at bringing in a contractor. Now, this is um, this is not a simple thing um, when you're you're trying to hire a contractor or a consultant that brings in skills that you don't have within your team. It's uh, it's it can be difficult to get to um, the uh, question of do do they actually have the skills or are they just BSing you, um, so um, that's really a topic for a whole a whole another webinar and a whole another discussion. But it, you know, so the short version is you, you will you will have to be very very careful when you're hiring a contractor or an expert consultant. Um, 
you know, that, that is bringing skills that you don't have within your team to make sure that they actually do have those skills and they're not just talking a good game because there are, there are lots of people out there that are real BS artists and, and can talk, can talk their way into things that they can't handle. Um, I forget the exact number, something like 30% or 40%. It's an amazingly large number of resumes contain material misstatements about people's experience and skills. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is a, a regrettably common um, thing for people to try to talk their way into jobs that they're not really qualified for and then hope that they can tap dance through it. Um, but, you know, that's exactly the opposite of what you are trying to do here. If you want someone to tap dance through it, you just have one of your own people do it, and at least they benefit from the learning experience. Um, all right, so we are out of time, so I'll wind this down. So a little bit more about resources that are available. Uh, free webinars once a month. Sign up at rbcs-us.com. Recorded webinars are on the digital library. If you want um, a webinar presentation of this webinar or any other topic, uh, send us an email, info at rbcs-us.com. Sign up for our regular free newsletter, again, rbcs-us.com. Uh, this will get you valuable discounts on consulting and training services, along with our regular newsletter every other month. That includes a featured article on software testing and quality and news about what RBCS and its partners are doing. And yes, we have an articles page where all those articles are collected over the years, so that's yet another potential training resource uh, for you in addition to the ones that I've uh, mentioned. Uh, we're on Twitter, at RBCS, uh, for the RBCS web uh, Twitter feed. The Leica Test Dog is uh, my own personal feed. We're on Facebook, RBCS-INC. Um, do remember to check your email over the next couple days. Um, there will be a winner. There is a winner every month. We take the uh, attendee uh, sheets and uh, merge them together for the day and the evening uh, sheet uh, or uh, session and uh, use a random number generator to pick one of the attendees. So someone will win, and that could be you. Um, we have, uh, as I said, uh, recordings of these on the digital library. There's also podcasts and videos of uh, uh, thing, topics like risk-based testing out there, all of this stuff free. Um, we have podcast versions of this that you can uh, subscribe to via the RSS feed or iTunes. Um, and you can also see these recorded webinars on the RBCS channel on YouTube. We offer these free resources as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS we are a not-just-for-profit company. This concludes the webinar. Thanks to everyone for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you next month.